The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry with Joe McGill. Good morning, good morning, how are you this morning? I'm Joe McGill and you're listening to the Saturday Supplement and I hope I find you well wherever you are listening to us around the world on RadioCarry.ie or on the Radio Kerry app or on the traditional wireless 96 to 98 FM. There's a coldness in the air this morning and uh, it's uh, the last two days now I've put on my winter jacket. I have, I've kind of avoided wearing coats all, all, uh, all with the last while and into the autumn. But now I feel it all of a sudden. The winter is kind of here. But it is a beautiful, crisp morning here in the county. So I hope you're up. And if you're not up, I hope you put on a nice cup of tea and uh, sit in for the next two hours and uh, relax and listen to the wonderful programme I have lined up for you this morning. Because as the clocks go back at the end of the month, I'll be talking to folklorist Shane Lahan, who will be reflecting on our ancestors' relationship with time. We'll also hear from Cecily Gilligan about her new book, Cures of Ireland, A Treasury of Irish Folk Remedies. This is an absolutely um, an astounding book and uh, she has spent years and years going around the country interviewing various people about um, fate cures and herbal cures and where cures come from and um, how they uh, coexist with modern medicine and uh, lots more besides and seven sons and seven daughters and and all that as well. So I'm really looking forward to chatting to her just around after half past nine. We'll also have our Kerry County Council, Creative Kingdom, letting you know what's going on in the arts world. We'll be talking about uh, Kerry Film Fest and uh, lots more besides an interesting a uh, few interesting initiatives as well that are being organised in the Arts Office uh, in Kerry County Council. Um, we'll also feature an Imro award-winning silver uh, programme piece produced by my former student David Nelligan who was best newcomer at the Imro National Radio Awards and he also got silver for his short feature on a wonderful story uh, set in Castle Island and well done to um, Elaine Kinsley as well she actually got gold for her programme Heritage Hunters and uh, she was ably assisted by Neve Daly and Alan Finn and that JJ O'Shea uh, swept the boards as well you had um, Tim Minahan, um, Radio Kerry got uh, silver. There was loads and loads and loads of awards for Radio Kerry. We had a great night. It was last uh, Friday night in uh, Kilkenny in the Lyres Estate. It's a wonderful um, venue um, to host uh, this um, kind of an event and uh, we had great celebrations. There was a big gang from Radio Kerry there but there needed to be to bring all those prizes um, home so congratulations to everyone at uh, Radio Kerry and uh, we had a great time at it. Now, if you want to get in touch with the programme, 66 712 6, you can text the WhatsApp 083 I should say as well, we're going to have a real up-and-coming star as well in the next hour, um, who I would say is on his way to to Hollywood. And he comes from Tralee and he's only a young lad and we'll be looking forward to talking to him um, 
as well. 66 for your calls. You can text the WhatsApp 0833300300. And people have been asking as well, what was the, what is the theme for our photography slot? And that is my life in color or a colorful life. So that's your theme. So it can be the colors uh, of autumn at the moment, or maybe it can be something that you do in your life that you consider colorful and you take a photo of that. So you can email them to jmcgill at radiocarry.ie. But first, what must it have been like in a time where there were no mechanical devices for marking and telling time? Well, someone who has contemplated this is Shane Lahad, who often comes on this programme. We're always delighted to welcome him on. Shane, how are you doing this morning? Fantastic show yourself. Not too bad at all. Sure, I'm flying it because I'm looking forward to talking about this because it is something, you know, we have, uh, I suppose, with all the modern technology now, we've so many different ways of waking us up and uh, the alarm is one and you put it on snooze and you mightn't get up straight away and then you turn it off. And I set my alarm about three or four times because I'm so frightened that I might miss the first one. But it'll uh-huh. land before that is very interesting to contemplate. It, it is, it is. But Joe, you, you hit this straight away this morning. You said, you know, you were putting on your coat, you yeah. know, um, the, the winter is here, really. It's, it's coming, it's coming our way fast. And you know, there are other ways of contemplating time than the way that we've been describing it as, you know, months and seasons and so on. But people knew they, they had no choice, really, because, uh, you know, nature all around us. Like I always say to my students, we, we have the, the, the waste dark, cold time of the year. And we have the bright, sunny, warm time of the year. So, like, you know, if, even if we were to just break things into two, uh, and we would know that we'd be moving now from the bright, sunny, well, we're about dry, we, we'll forget about that for the last, last summer, <laughs> but, you know. Um, but we, we know the nights are changing, the light is changing, uh, the growth all around us is changing. You know, people were aware con- all of the time of the seasons, of the change of seasons. And it mightn't have been in an in, in exactitude, it mightn't have been a a chronometrical, as they call it, uh, exact measurement and so on. Um, but people were aware generally of what we would call kind of the uh, the pattern of time. So uh, it, the same, you might talk about the seasons, but the same goes for the day, of course. Mm. You know, you, you, you get up in the morning um, and I love that whole idea of, you know, when you wake up, I love the idea that as as the as the as the night time increases and there's less daylight, well there's no real incentive to get out of the bed really until the light comes, you know. Yes. There, there was there was a marvellous um contraption, you know, talk about contraptions, there was a marvellous alarm clock that uh, I got many years ago, I don't know where it's gone now, it was, it was a fad. But it was instead of having the buzzer that you mentioned, yeah. it was actually a light that would come on and the light would wake you up, you know, that in in underneath your in, in if through your eyelids as it were, yeah. your brain would function that daylight was there and it was a, an easy way of, of w- welcoming you along. More so natural. More natural. But like, you know, I was, I've been doing a lot of walking lately and I'm still walking and trying my best now. The cold mornings might have an effect on But I love to hear the, the, the chorus, the dawn chorus. Mm. I love to hear the, the bird sound. And long ago, of course, and all the farms, of course, Joe, they had the, the cock. The yes. cock really is the alarm clock. Like, there's no doubt about it. When the cock starts to see the first rays, bit of sunlight at all, he's off, like. And people used to keep the cock in the house very regularly to wake them up. So you were up at cock crow, as the phrase goes. And, and I love as well, Joe, because it's, it's an interesting one in time. I know we're now we're on the decrease, but um, 
like like you, I'm sure uh, we get through the winter. Like, but that's you know, uh, we we hopefully we'll get through the other side, yeah. and we'll be waiting now for February. And when February comes along, of course, we'll be waiting for the the, the lengthening to occur. And you know, there was there was always the old phrase that was the uh, the cush game the, that it would get longer by a, a cox stride, uh, and you know, the <laughs> cock stride was was always an interesting one. The cock used to go up on top of the dunghill and always was preening himself up on top. And when he was doing that, he'd lift up his little uh, little leg and he'd put it down again, which really was in exactly the same place. So getting, the days getting longer by a cock stride on, meant that it was only getting long by a tiny bitine, absolutely small altogether. Yeah. But each time it got a little bit longer, they used to say then, when you came to Paddy's Day then, that it was, go, go, it was getting longer by a hair's leap. So that was the <laughs> that was the sense that, you know, so it started off and, you know, we can anticipate that. And we're on that downward slope now at the moment, you know, we're on the kind of, the, we're still hanging on to the, the sense of the summer, the sense of what was there. Yeah. It's great to think, like, when the regulation of time, we call it, the, when, you know, there was, of course, people knew the seasons and they knew all of that, but what intrigues me, I, I'm going to do something with you now, Joe, I want you to take out your right hand, if you can, for me, right, yeah. right out in front of you now, okay? Yeah. And listeners can do this as well. And have a look now. You have your four fingers and you have your thumb, right? Uh-huh. Palm, palm up towards you now, right? And if you look carefully at your fingers, you'll see there are little divisions there in your fingers. And mm-hmm. if I was to bring my thumb across to my baby finger, the bottom of it, yeah. I would count up one, two, three. I'd go over to the next finger, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Whoa! Right? 12 was the way in which everyone in the past reckoned everything. 12, that's where we get the dozen from. Just yeah. hold on to this idea for a moment, right? On the other hand, look at your other hand now. Uh-huh. <laughs> at your left hand, you've got five fingers. And if you multiply the five by the 12, you get 60. And everything was divided by 60. So that's why we have 60 seconds in a minute. That's why we have 60 seconds, 60 minutes in an hour. And that's then why we have 12 hours in, uh, in, 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 in the, in the, in the one part of the day and 24, of course, in the full day. Mind so, blown, Shane. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> everything. And, and that was the system. Like when you were doing anything in the past, you were, we keeping, keeping count, keep, keep counting sheep or looking after whatever you were looking doing the bartering everything was in the dozen of course right everything was in the 12 yes. and then of course the five the five dozen then was the 60 and the 60 becomes the way in which we calculated time yeah. the other one of course then Joel was the moon yeah, and, and that's, yeah, and that's what, something yeah. I want to say before you talk about the moon, is I suppose people naturally, like you said, they knew the seasons, they knew the time of the day, kind of the way where the sun was as well, I'd imagine, and you know, they know when it's coming around, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's setting then, so looking up at the sky, the moon, the stars, they all played their roles as well. They had a massive role, and like we have to think about that. Like I, I'm, I'm saying two things to you now, right? I'm saying one that people just followed the natural feel of what was around them. They knew when it was time to, when it was getting warmer. They might know when to plow, when to plow. They might know when to sow seeds. You know, if you're farming, you might know when the animals were having their young. That's the natural cycle, and that that was vary, but it's not, you know, it's not tied to time in the same way. But you see, of course, you also then had the accurate movement of 
of the of the sun. Um, and of course, you know, we we know from ancient ancient times. Of course, in Ireland, we're very proud of our our, our megalithic tombs like Newgrange and Stowan and Nelth, where we even have uh, the the winter solstice, the, the shortest day of the year, being very accurately uh, mapped, if you like, and, and known to us. But we also have sundials all over the place, and um, we have all sorts of methods and mechanisms for by which people articulate the time and mark the time. One, one of my favourite ones, bringing it a little bit closer, is actually the Round Tower. Um, because when Christianity comes in, uh, Christianity, of course, brought in a regulation of time because they were singing their psalms and their matins and their nones, and they had different points of time where they had to recite different prayers and so on. And the which is the Irish for the round tower, the bell tower or the bell house, and they would go up there, up to the top, and they would have their little hand bells, Joe, and they would mark time with the sound of the bell. Oh. And we still get that, of course, in the church today. That's how the community around knew um, what kind of time it was, what was what was going on. It was the sound of the bell that was articulating the day and, and so on for people. So we've, we have a kind of a long history of marking time, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a fascinating one. Yeah, fascinating. so Shane, stay with us. We're going to go to a break, but we've lots more to, to chat about. We're here with Shane Lahan, uh, UCC folklorist, and uh, Shane is also, of course, Director of Cultural and Heritage Studies in Cork College of Further Education and Training as well. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You're listening to The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, 66 712 you can text the WhatsApp 0833300300. We're talking with Shane Lahan of UCC and Cork College of Further Education, and we're talking about what life was like before clocks and what time was like and how people kept time and how uh, it, I suppose, influenced their lives. And Shane, uh, you know, we're talking about this like kind of people were free and easy, but I suppose it was very functional kind of a thing as well that you wake up with the and you go to bed at dark because it's before electricity and all that so it's probably a smarter thing to be doing anyway well yeah and you know like it's funny isn't it Joe like the, the seasons there's such of course there's less to do in the in, yes, the, in, yeah. in the dark time and so on like there's lots of fellas because of heating and everything and, and took to the bed for the winter like there's yeah. lots of people hibernated <laughs> exactly they, 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 they went in and they were, they were out again at, at the end of it like they might only so it's a kind of a, I know that's a humorous sort of view of things but in a way it's a natural thing as you say it's, it's almost like the animals hibernating and, and you know when when you have to stay alive and stay warm and stay stay comforted and so on, uh, you know your your work or your activities will ha- happen. So that's the natural format that's that's there. That's definitely. But I want to introduce one idea to you, Joe, that I think you like. Okay, mm-hmm. in in anthropology, we talk about two different types of time. One is called linear time. Okay, linear time. Now you and I are on linear time. If everyone is on linear time, uh, that means from the cradle to the grave. Right? Uh-huh. Literally, we we get we get up and we were born and we move along and in the end we're we're done. And that's a journey that's full of stress and full of survival. And how do we get on? And where do we go? And different points uh, along the way, whatever we do in our lives. 
the other concept is a thing called cyclical time. And we also live in cyclical time because obviously our year goes around and it repeats itself and we have different patterns of, of things. We'll be coming up to Samhain. I'll talk to you in a moment about Samhain now yeah. and Halloween. Mm-hmm. But you have, you have Christmas time and you have, you know, Bridget's Day and the new growth that's there and you have Delta and May Day and you have the summertime and so on and so forth. But each one of those becomes the same each year. So we revisit and we come back to a place once again into uh, where we were. And it's interesting that cyclical time, as we call it, is kind of time out of time. In other words, it's uh, timelessness. And, and to explain that a little bit better, you know, we're, we experience life um, repeatedly uh, in a, a variety of, of occasions. So it could be birth, the joy of any birth, the joy or the sadness perhaps at any date or, or celebrating someone's life um, at a wedding, for example. They're timeless because they're usually identical and we ritualise and we keep those places the same. And quite often that's where our contentment and our happiness occurs within those cyclical, sometimes also almost sacred times. So we use cyclical time to kind of alleviate the reality of the linear time, which is the one-way uh, journey to, to oblivion, if you like. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so it's a kind of a really, uh, it's a nice way for us to remember that, you know, when you get that invite to the the party, and when you get that invite to, to the wedding, you know, go along because, and, and give it your all because that's the time, perhaps, when we forget uh, what 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 things are, you know, and yeah. I, I love that idea of, of enjoying that. But I, mean, I mentioned so and Joe. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to talk up. about. We only yeah. have a few minutes, Shane, but I just yeah. like because it has become very Americanized, hasn't it? Halloween, oh, trick or treat, the puka is nearly god no. So like it's this. There's a there's a real Irish tradition with Halloween, isn't there? There is. You know, I have a whole bunch of students there in UCC. Uh, half of them are American, big, big bunch of them. And they all think uh, Halloween is American. And I have a great... I, I have to work very hard to kind of show them the early Irish traditions. Mm. But Samhain, as, as we would call it, um, that's actually both the end of the year and actually the beginning of the year. Um, there was a, a great Celtic calendar uh, out in a place called Coligny, not too far from Lyon in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they found uh, this, this, this ancient 2nd century BC calendar with Samhain, the name Samhain written, Sam, Saminoth, uh, which is the beginning and the end of the year. It's the, the point. And when you think about it, everything in nature dies. Uh, it's the festival of death and away. We have the festival, of course, in the Christianization of the Feast of the, the All Souls and the Feast of All Saints and so on. Those, but what we're looking at really there, Joe, is an acknowledgement of the end of fertility. And we've always used that point then, at the juncture of the two, to predict the future, to see, like, you know, what will we do? And we, we call up all sorts of different mechanisms of doing that. You and I would know the barn back and we'd know yeah. other ways of, of telling the future. But it's that point, it's seen as the kind of the, the end and the start and the crossover, the ultimate threshold, um, if you like, into that dark period. So we, we've had it and we've uh, we often disguise, we often dress up, uh, we often represent chaos at this time of the year. So that's where all those traditions come from. Of course, they go over to America and then it gets all about spooks and horrors and mm. monsters and Dracula and all the different stuff that you can make or Frankenstein or whatever. Of course, but what it really is, Joe, is an acknowledgement that one year is over. Uh, we're, all the fertility is gone, we're finished now, we're into the dark period, we're waiting for the rebirth to, uh, to occur. 
yeah uh, wonderful Shane it's always brilliant to have you on I really learned so much I'll be looking at my hands now for the rest of the day <laughs> that, that is a great one I just it's amazing and numbers will come up a lot in, in my next conversation about healing as well and there's a, you know seven sons and there's all these different numbers within that as well um, so very interesting Shane thanks a million for uh, coming on it's always a pleasure great, and we look forward great, to speaking to you again great to talk to you Joe thanks a million that's Shane Lehan there oh, I just love having Shane on because his knowledge of customs and traditions and our folklore is so important and uh, it's not just what he knows it's the way he tells it as well so I just love having Shane on from the Department of Folklore and Ethnology in UCC and uh, Shane is also Director of Cultural and Heritage Studies in Cork College of Further Education and training and like I mentioned we will be speaking to Cecily Gilligan who is the author of a new book Cures of Ireland a treasury of Irish folk remedies you're not want, going to want to miss that get in touch with us 0667123666 you can text WhatsApp 0833033300 you're listening to the Saturday supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry 066 for your calls. You can text the WhatsApp 0833033300. Now, it's said that almost everyone in Ireland, particularly in rural communities, will know something of someone with a cure. It might be for the mumps, a stay in the eye, or a sprain. Indeed, the author of Cures of Ireland, Cecily Gilligan, was herself cured of jaundice and ringworm by a seventh son in her local Sligo during her childhood and Cecily has been researching the rich world of Irish folk cures for almost 40 years and given the tradition has largely been an oral one has been interviewing a broad range of people from around the country who possess these mythical mystical cures and those who have benefited from their gifts and I'm delighted to say Cecily joins me now Cecily you're very welcome how are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe. Lovely to be talking to people down in Kerry. Yeah, and I firstly should congratulate you. I think it's so important that these things are, you know, written down and captured because I can imagine in this world, you know, every year that goes by, something is lost. But firstly, I suppose, how did this uh, come about? Like, how, how did this book, writing this book, and I suppose how did firstly the cures come uh, to you? I mentioned there, it was kind of at an early stage. Yeah, well, basically, yeah, I grew up in rural County Sligo, and um, that would have been in the 70s, say, and uh, the cures are very much part of community life, uh, so we just took for granted, and like like you said, uh, everybody got cures, you know, as well as the contemporary medicine, and I had had a cure for jaundice, the herbal bottle, and as a child then, the local seventh son, he was very busy curing everybody of ringworm, because in those days, you used to pick it up from the cattle, handling the animals, but um, anyways, I was in university in Cork, in the lovely UCC and uh, that was in the late 1980s and I had done research kind of a uh, final year dissertation on the actual subject and part of that I went out and I interviewed people, um, almost 30 people who had cures, there was like an oral collection, a folklore collection that was really interesting and uh, my supervisor at the time said it was a good piece of work and I should maybe follow it up so eventually I did about 20 years later in 2005 I, I returned to it and I said I must, I must follow that up I must write this book so then I went went out and I spent five years uh, part-time uh, researching looking for people with cures and in the end I spoke to uh, over 90 people who had a wide variety of cures for people and for animals and uh, I also visited holy wells and pilgrimage sites and clays and stones anything to do with healing and traditional healing that people would have used for healing in the past mm. and currently today 
yeah. And are these cures, when you say cures, is it like, um, you know, kind of a recipe or a, you know, a, a herbal cure? Or is it more to do with, you know, the supernatural or faith or what, 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 what is it when we're talking about cures? Okay, well, so there's a variety, but basically I found that there's there's sort of more or less two categories. There's the herbal cures and then there's the faith cures. And sometimes there's an interconnection between two. There's often someone that will have a herbal cure. There might be a prayer connected to it or a blessing, say. But um, in the past, we would have had a lot of herbal uh, knowledge in Ireland, herbal lore. But unfortunately, we've lost a lot of that. There was a huge study conducted in the late 1930s by the Folklore uh, Department's Folklore Commission and they got the children of Ireland in 5,000 schools to record stories of ghosts and banshees and fairies, you know, with the old people in their communities all around the whole of Ireland. So they gathered this huge wealth of information and cures came up hugely within that, that folkloric information. So we had huge amount of cures in the past and particularly herbal cures. Um, but today my research found that about 20% of the cures I investigated were of herbal origin. Mm. So purely using the herbs and they're in the, heel, the fields and the hedgerows. And then uh, about 80% were faith-related. So that's more the dominant cure these days. And by that I mean cures that people would, would believe the source of the cure is God. And mm. they would involve prayers. Um, like, for example, the, the bleeding cure would be quite common around the country. I'm sure it's down in Kerry also. And uh, so you, you have a bleed, whatever it could be. It could be, it could be a brain hemorrhage, it could be a really severe bleed, it could be your hand is bleeding. And you phone you phone the person. Like, for example, I spoke to a man in Roscommon that had it. So he gets lots of calls every day. And he just says a prayer, a very simple prayer. And I keep it a secret, says the prayer, and then he believes that that will stop the bleed. And it's very popular. Mm-hmm. And the people that do the cures then... Have they a special gift, or can anyone do the cures? Or what way does that kind of what, what, what have you found there? Yeah, no, Joe. Uh, the people who have cures are just ordinary, everyday, regular people like you or I. You could have a cure. I could have a cure. So they just have this kind of special aspect of their life because often cures are passed on within families. Uh, generally, people just have one cure. Somebody might have a few cures, but generally, it's just one. So your mum might have had a cure for, uh, for example, shingles, mm. and then she passes it on to you. Often, I found the gender had to change every time. So a woman would pass it to a man, and the stipulation was the man would pass it to a woman, and so on. So not just regular people like uh, artists. Um, doc, well, actually not a doctor so I came across a solicitor who had a cure but she wasn't actually using it she was afraid of being sued unfortunately <laughs> but, uh, oh ironic I know, kind of ironic, I know. but uh, everyday people obviously rural Ireland is very strong on the cures and I mean I, 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 the north west where I am I know they're very strong up here but also in other parts of Ireland farmers shopkeepers, one man was a trade union official, all sorts of people have, have cures um, and then older people and younger people and generally people would think cures are associated with older people yeah. but what I found in my research was that I don't think it's necessary that I think people hold on to their cures, generally if they're making their cure they're quite fond of it and they believe it's important and they believe it's maybe part of their family heritage or tradition so they keep it going and then it's not until they're older and they feel like you know, they mightn't be able to make it or, you know, they're in danger of dying or something, that they'll pass it on to the next generation. So it kind of gets a new lease of life with a young person. Yeah. Um, I have a friend now who is a seventh son. And I, I actually always thought it was a seventh son of a seventh son, but it, it can be a seventh son. So, and there you mentioned yes. seven daughters as well. There's a chapter, you know, dedicated to this. Yes. So what is that about? And what can, what can they cure? 
Yeah, so basically that's a very strong old tradition in Ireland and it is that you can be a seventh daughter or a seventh son. So basically you have to have, it's to do with large families, mm-hmm. uh, you have to have seven girls, this girls, girls born consecutively one after the other. So if you had, say, three girls and then you had a boy and then you had four girls, that wouldn't that wouldn't work. You'd have to have, they'd have to be born consecutively. So if you have seven boys or seven girls born in a row, the seventh child then is traditionally believed to have a cure and what they would normally have the cure for is ringworm. Sometimes I came across people that had other cures, maybe they're especially skin, chronic skin problems like eczema or psoriasis, but, and sometimes warts. But generally, traditionally, the one that they're all very strong on is the ringworm. Uh, a few people were also became healers, quite important healers, uh, because they were a seventh son or a daughter. But, uh, and basically, so, so if, you, if you've got ringworm, you go to the seventh son or the seventh daughter, and all they do is just they lay their hand on you. They lay their hand on you and they usually say a prayer or a blessing. Um, it can be quite a short procedure. And ringworm, it's not as common as it has been in the past, but it can be quite a troublesome, difficult thing. It can spread around the body and be mm. quite hard to get rid of. Um, and the other really fascinating thing about the, the seven sons and seven daughters is that uh, it's to do with the worm. Uh, so basically, I was told by a number of people that when they were a baby, like one woman, for example, she was born in 1970s in a, in a nursing home in Longford, and she told me that the, as soon as she was born, so she's a baby, the, the, well, I think it was a nun at the time, or the, the lady that was dealing with her, uh, said, can we test the child with the worm? So basically, they get a worm, and you put it onto the baby's hand, and basically, the worm will die very quickly, like within maybe, say, three minutes very quickly. The worm will stop wriggling and it will die. Mm. So this is completely illogical and unusual, but it, it happens. And that told, a number of people told me that, uh, who were seventh daughters and sons. Yeah, so I know my friend now, I'm going to go up with a worm to him and <laughs> put it on his hand and see what, see what happens. Yeah, uh, see yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. definitely. Um, and then, you know, there's other things about when people are born, maybe like if their father passed away before them and maybe if the parents had the same um, surnames when they were married, tell us about that kind of um, angle as well. Yeah. Yeah, so there's different ways you can acquire a cure rather than just being handed on from a, from previous generation in your family. So, for example, yeah, if you we call it a posthumous child. So, if a child is uh, conceived, obviously, but they they haven't been born and their father dies. So, when, by the time they die, their father has died, unfortunately. Then that child is believed to have the cure of foul mouth, which is thrush. So that would be a fairly common cure. And uh, what they do is they just breathe. Breathing is a very old form of healing. Uh, so they would breathe into the mouth of the child. It's usually a child that would have the thrush. It's quite a common problem, especially with the bottle-fed babies, seemingly. So uh, they would breathe into the child's mouth, usually three times. Three is a really important and powerful number in the traditional cures. comes up all the time. So you would breathe into the baby's mouth, and then you would... Uh, they, they probably have to come back to you maybe three times that's often that people would come back three times to have the cure um, performed often on a Monday and Thursday and for example I um, I interviewed a farmer that you know busy man and dairy farmer and he had the cure because his father had died unfortunately so he said he often made the cure in the dairy people knew he'd be there at you know six or seven in the evening milking the cows so they'd bring the baby into the dairy and he'd just take a minute and he'd go and breathe into the baby's mouth they might also bless the baby or make a little sign of the cross on them but the main thing was the breath and then they'd come back three times and he said yeah it would start to clear very quickly again it can be a very successful cure 
Yeah. Um, I suppose, we, like we should say, you should always seek medical advice. Um, uh, you know, yeah. whenever you, you know something's wrong with you or whatever, you should always go to the doctor and see what, uh, see uh, seek help. But do, how does this work with that? Does it work alongside it? Um, you know, people yeah. getting these alternative cures or whatever. Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't think there's any conflict I have come across between mm. modern medicine and the traditional medicine. I think the cures are something very old and, you know, part of our heritage, part of our tradition, more than the music and the dancing. Mm. And they've been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And I think people sort of find a strength in that and they have a respect for the cures because they are the old tradition. But, you no, know, I mean, obviously modern medicine is widely used and the people who make the cures all use modern medicine themselves. You know, there's no conflict of interest there but sometimes people would use would use a cure for different reasons like for example yeah if you if you've got if your child is crying and they have the thrush and then you know that the farmer you know a few fields away or a few houses away has that cure well sure it's quite simple you mm. pop down it'll do them no harm and it might work yeah. so or you know so people just know because they know of, of com- cures within their own community people have said to me well it's simpler it's cheaper it's easier it's quicker maybe to do that and mm. um, and again, a lot of the cures would be kind of maybe for, maybe, you know, not very serious problems, more maybe chronic issues or, you know, not life-threatening issues, certainly. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and uh, then... Yeah, sorry, sorry Cecilia. Yeah. I was just going to say that often people then said to me, because I always ask them, why do people get your cure and not go to a doctor, for example? Mm. And they would say, well, often they might do the two or they've been to the doctor and then they come to me. And some people would say, well, they come to the, for the cure as a last resort because they've tried lots of other things and they can't, you know, shift the problem, whatever it is. Yeah, and um, and I suppose, Cecily, like, people would argue these work. Some people would argue that they don't. But there's a placebo effect, I'd imagine, as well, because the power of the mind, if you believe so wholeheartedly in this you know that that must yeah. help as well the power of the mind oh yes definitely now i don't discuss the placebo effect directly because I, the people what i would say is the people who are giving cures believe in them you know 100 percent. yes and they believe they're giving they're doing something that's going to help you so they don't think it's whereas you might get a, um, a tablet i know in tests they give you a tablet yeah. and one person gets the real thing and one person gets the placebo yeah. but yeah you're definitely right there's a psych i do think one of the reasons these cures work is a psychological or a spiritual dimension to them because you know like say you're going to get the cure for example there's a lady makes the cure as a sprain i know you've lots of lovely great footballers down in kerry so often people get sprains and you would go to the woman house and then uh, she just, she inherited from her grandmother one particular woman I talked to, so she lays her hand on you, she just touches the the the, the sprain and she says the prayers and she does that three times and you go to her three times but I suppose as part of that ritual you know there's often, well there's certainly chat involved, but there people have a chat, it's nice and relaxed, informal, you know, human interaction uh, taking place, they have a chat, you can tell them your problems often and then many times there's a cup of tea involved, but people get a cup of tea and, and a biscuit and you have a chat and I do think that's quite reassuring that's and, therapeutic you know, yeah, yeah. Positive. It's, yeah it's definitely yeah. nice and then even the spiritual side you know a lot of the cures involve prayer so that's again you know people say their prayers so they're investing in something a very positive powerful um, you know they're, they're trying to make themselves better and they say the prayers and that brings hope and reassurance to them so I think that's also important yeah um, I used to spend my summers with my grandmother on Valencia Island when I was young and she um, 
she, I remember her burning her hand badly on the rings of the kind of cooker and it actually imprinted the rings of the cooker on her hand but she had a little no. book and she went straight to the book and it was like potato peels she put on the, the, the burns and she put them down on it but she had a book of um, remedies like that as well so it really stands out to me um, so I, I was just wondering to you what kind of cure stood out to you from your vast research and we should say this it's vast research it's over a number of years and over the whole country what, what kind of cure stood out to you? Well, well, there's lots of different ones, obviously quite diverse, but I think, um, actually, well, talking about the burns, that's really interesting, and your listeners might or might not be aware of it. Basically, in Ireland, we have a little creature called the man-keeper, which is, called, which is a smooth newt. So if you see one of them, they're only a few centimetres long, and they're a little lizardy kind of thing, right? Mm. And it's the only type of newt we have in Ireland. So basically, if you catch one of those little fellas, and it sounds strange but you have to lick it lick it on the belly and on the back Uh, and then you have but then you have the cure of the burn and lots of people I interviewed have this cure so they call it the cure of the burn and it's because you lick the man keeper so and especially in rural Ireland people out on the land in the past you'd find these around a well or under a rock I actually find them in my garden you know so um, but you'd want to be able to find it fairly quick wouldn't you if you got burnt (laughs) no no but no but the thing is no no Joe when you have it sorry when you've done the lick then you have the cure and you have it for oh, life oh you've the cures okay yeah yeah you have yeah. the cure oh, so right. you lick the man keeper maybe as a child and then as you grow older you still have the burn cure alright but and you don't go example, licking other people then handy it out or anything like that to, it's, it's yourself well, no, that's what, cured what you, no but what you, no no what you do, sorry, is you lick the burn. So, for example, one far, one man, a farmer I know, not too far from me, he told me that um, he had licked, you know, they knew of the tradition. All these traditions are very strong in Northern Ireland. He'd licked the man-keeper, the little lizardy thing, mm. the newt, uh, when he was a child. Then he subsequently had the cure of the burn. He told me, for example, one man, he met him at the co-op one day, the agricultural co-op, and he had just burnt his hand with molten metal and he was in severe pain. So they took off the bandage and he knew he had the cure. So then what you do is, it doesn't sound very pleasant, but he licked burn. Mm. Um, but people told me they've never picked any up any infection as a result of it. So he licked the burn and then the man put the, put the bandage back on. And he told me a few days later, the man contacted him and said, you know, it really had made a very big impact and it really had helped the burn. So they would say that it takes the pain out of the burn very quickly and it starts the healing process. So again, Joe, it's very hard to understand that, but that would be a very strong tradition. And I have found people and they've told me, uh, and people have told me who've had that cure also, that it does work. Yeah, very good. So Um, so stay with us, Cecily, because we always say in this programme, there's always a Kerry connection, and there is a Kerry connection in the book too that we'd like to discuss as well. If you want to get in touch with us, 0667123666, you can text WhatsApp 0833003300. After the break, we'll be talking again with Cecily Gilligan about her book, Cures of Ireland and the Treasury of Irish Folk Remedies. You're listening to The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. Get in touch with us, 66 You can text WhatsApp 083-300-3300. We're talking to Cecily Gilligan, author of Cures of Ireland, a Treasury of Irish Folk Remedies. Hi, Joe. Very interesting about all the old cures and traditions. Aloe vera is very good for burns, and that comes in from Charles. And also, uh, we've a load of messages um, saying that Cecily's fascinating, as well as Shane earlier. Hi, Joe. Can you ask your guest, could someone cure animals, for example, a cat with ringworms, Cecily? Uh, 
the ringworm can be cured by the seventh son or daughter. So if you can locate one of those in your area. And unfortunately, you know, the cures are facing challenges, obviously, with, you know, modernizations, mm. changes taking place in our country um, and even say in relation to the birth rate obviously is, is much less than it would have been in the past so the likelihood of people having uh, seven children seven boys or seven girls in a row is, is diminishing but yes. there are there are seven there are there are seven sons and daughters still out there yes yeah yeah and um, I know you talk about the animals as well but you also talk about wells holy wells and that brings yes. us to Kerry as well there's a few holy wells in <laughs> Kerry <laughs> There's certainly lots of fabulous uh, holy wells and archaeological sites, of course, in Kerry. So, yeah, one of the holy wells I documented in my book is Tubernialt, uh, which is, you know, well, it could technically be, be translated as crazy, but it's a little, a beautiful little holy well, uh, and it's near Camp, in the village of Camp, which is on the Dingle Peninsula there. So I went and visited that holy well. I was particularly interested in that because it was associated with mental health and curing mental illness. So that that was obviously very important and uh, so every little holy well at the side of the road there uh, with a spring and it's got a rag tree all the holy wells almost have a rag tree where people leave a little offering or a little part of themselves and it's almost like they're leaving whatever their problem is at the well and traditionally it was believed that as the rag or the item disintegrated you know the problem would disappear also but that well, I talked to a woman, a farmer uh, in the area, and she told me that that well was particularly associated with um, a 7th century King Sweeney, who was known as Mad Sweeney, um, and he had been travelling the country, the countries that he's documented in the old tales. But seemingly he had come to that well, and he was a troubled man, and he found peace there. That's what she told me, and that's what the literature would say. That was a very interesting little holy well. And then the other place um, I particularly visited and loved in Kerry was Mount Brandon, mm. because I documented um, pilgrimage sites, because often you, people use pilgrimages uh, as part of the healing process. So, for example, like here in, in Mayo, we have Crow Patrick and Donegal has uh, locked Derg Station Island. And then another very important pilgrimage site is Mount Brandon, and that would be associated with uh, Brendan, obviously St. Brendan, and he was from the 6th century, early Christian saint. But uh, Brandon is interesting because it's also recognised and the folklore department has documented it. It's a pre-Christian site, most likely. So in pre-Christian times, people went there particularly to celebrate the festival of Lunasa. And as we know, Lunasa is uh, is August in Irish. So it was the festival of um, fruition, the first festival of um, the harvest festival, basically. Mm. And that will be well documented. And then today, people... I went there, basically, and I followed Cusson the Nave, which is the lovely path on the southern side you walk up the mountain yes. and it's marked by cairns you've probably done that yourself Joe yeah yeah and we've talked about it here on the programme yeah fascinating yeah yeah yeah. yeah, so people would use that uh, for healing purposes as well. Many people would go and they'd struggle to the top and they would use it for healing. And then at the top, uh, traditionally, yeah, there's rounds you would do. The number nine is, is important for Mount Brandon. It's, you know, three threes or nine. So people would walk around the, there's an old ruined church and there's a little graves, they call them little kind of um, humps or um, you know, raised areas and there's a there's a little holy well there, tiny holy well but people would walk nine times around it and say their prayers and there's always ritual involved, the ritual is very important yeah. to the holy wells and the cures 
yeah. And we've 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 run out of time, unfortunately. And uh-huh. I know I know numbers you said is so important as well. And you talk about that in the book. But like I always say, you have to buy the book now to find out the rest because there's <laughs> loads we haven't even talked about. Kylie Vera, Vera as well, and there's loads more. But it's fascinating. And once again, Cecily, I want to congratulate you because I I can I can only imagine the amount of time this book took as well because it's over years and 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 all that you captured and all the interviews. It's an astounding number of interviews you did as well. So congratulations. And it's available in all good bookshops, I'd imagine. Exactly, it is. I'm very impressed, I have to mention yes, my publishers. Yeah. They've done a wonderful job and wonderful illustrations. So listen, Joe, and to your listeners, Gormila Mahogath Agaslan, Ushligach, Ushligach. Yeah, Gormila Mahogath. And uh, like Cecily said there, it's um, a wonderful publication. It looks beautiful as well, and it's available in all good bookshops. It's called Cures of Ireland, A Treasury of Irish Folk Remedies by Cecily Gilligan. We're going to take a break. We'll have the news, and I'll join you again in the next hour. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. Yes, somewhere into the second hour of the Saturday Supplement, and I hope you're enjoying um, the programme so far. Um, Joe, enjoying the Cures of Ireland. What was the lady's name? And that comes in from Breed, and her name is Cecily Gilligan, and the book is Cures of Ireland, a Treasury of Irish Folk Remedies, and uh, a fascinating book, and uh, it's so in-depth as well. Um, We didn't get to half it, or even a quarter of it there, so there's lots uh, more in the book. Um, now, I mentioned we had a very successful outing at the Imrose Radio Kerry, and we had great celebrations last Friday. The Imrose, of course, are the National Radio Awards, um, where the great and the good uh, meet to celebrate radio, and there are awards handed out for the year's work. Um, radio Kerry got silver in the local station of the year as well, which is a fantastic achievement um, as well. Um, I think was it eight awards in all? So a magnificent haul of awards for um, this uh, station. And one of the winners was a former student of mine, David Nelligan, who now uh, is a news journalist here in Radio Kerry. And uh, he got a Best Newcomer Award, which is a fantastic achievement. That's a national award. And also he got a Silver Award. So he got two um, Imros uh, in the short feature category. And um, it was for this piece, this short feature focuses on a tradition which used to run in Castle Island through the 70s and 80s called the Tops of the Town an unexpected event which would inspire one group to victory Castle Island is a town of outsiders to onlookers to people in the countryside it's the big town and to those in big towns a few miles out the road we are the countryside this sense of middlemanship has led to a particular Castle Island sense of humour. Often self-deprecating, regularly witty. As local great Con Hoolahan described, Castle Island is not so much a town as a street between two fields. And this witty sense of self has thrived through the locals for generations. From poems and songs to satirical and often controversial St. Patrick's Day parade floats, taking national topics and putting the local flavour and spice to these. And this process of making art from the mundane world around 
was at a particular high in the tone throughout the 1970s, when the tops of the tones competition was the main event. Kieran Fleming was a regular performer at the tops of the tones. He explains more about the competition. It was a variety show, really, with a lot of singing, dancing, a sketch thrown in as well, and uh, um, put on by different groups. In Castle Island, uh, the groups were, main, were mainly confined to um, roads. So you had Limerick Road, College Road, Tralee Road, Killarney Road, Church Street, and then you had Cordell and Scattered Lane. They were, they were the main groups. And uh, it was started off by Father Leahy to raise funds for uh, the building of a new uh, community centre. There was deadly rivalry, like. There was deadly rivalry. Oh, I mean, the rivalry was deadly, like. Oh, I'm telling you. And uh, some of the... <laughs> some of the, 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 the judges weren't very popular with some of the groups, the losing groups. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of stuff said about him the time that they had been got at and all this, you know. <laughs> oh dear. It was a fantastic community effort. It got everyone from these areas involved. Didn't matter who they were, where they were from, everyone, everyone was involved, young and old. So it was, it was absolutely mighty from that point of view. Rehearsals took place in Nelligan's Bakery. The bakery was an amazing spot, like. The ovens were hot, and there was plenty of heat, heat there in the cold winter's nights. And, of course, there was great fun. It was the most unusual place. I don't know, if there, was there any group in the country, or did any group in the country ever rehearse inside in the bakery? And often it was late in the night or early in the morning before we left it, trying to get things right. It was a great experience and we had great fun. Yeah. The competition was fierce, but the crack was mighty. And groups would look for any stories around locally to create a song or a skit out of. And sometimes inspiration simply landed on their doorstep. Castle Island Garthi are continuing their investigations this morning following the discovery of a suspicious device in the town yesterday evening. They received a phone call at 11.30am to say a bomb had been planted in the telephone kiosk in front of the post office on Main Street. But upon investigation, nothing was found. A package was later discovered at approximately 4pm by local postman Jackie Brown. The area was sealed off and local traffic diversions were put in place via Spout Lane in the town. Only 16 years old at the time, Charlie Nelligan lived in the family residence on the Limerick Road. He recalls the events of the day. I suppose 6 o'clock in the evening, um, I lived in the Limerick Road and I saw the commotion. There was maybe a couple of hundred people in a circle at the Limerick Road end and Main Street. There was a, they were all around in a circle around the um, uh, telephone kiosk 
white wanted in front of Tyke Prindival's pub, just up a little bit from Tyke Prindival's pub. And uh, the guards had um, people kept way back from the phone box for fear to explode. There was a box with a bomb written on it. It was like a shoe box. And uh, people were getting moving closer to it. Billy Dowling lived on the top of Main Street of Castle Island and remembers the day well. The bomb that wasn't the bomb started sometime in the afternoon. We knew there was something up because the next thing the guards arrived and they closed off the top of the town. Traffic, pedestrians, the whole lot were, were, were prohibited from going near the telephone box. Everyone in the top of the town were delighted with the, the scenario because we all took over lectures and waited for this big massive bomb that was supposed to go off. The Cork uh, Army Bomb Disposal Unit arrived about three hours later. Maybe tensions were high in in Ireland at the time in, 19, in the 1970s. So they had to take it seriously, you know. They had to really. And when the boys arrived down from Cork, there was all these army vehicles and all these soldiers were walking along, which was a thing that was, like, totally... You'd, you'd never seen this in Castle Island before this. Like, this is this was, this was big. <laughs> this was, was really big. The whole thing went on uh, for about, as I say, about five, maybe six hours that way. The local guards obviously were in charge and they, they wouldn't leave anyone near it. Everyone was, was, was wanted to get involved in it, so to speak. It was probably the best entertainment we had in the top of the town in 1973 that you couldn't actually get without anyone, any fatalities. But it was fantastic. It really was. And we enjoyed every minute of it. The crowd's gathering got larger, as did the interest and the crack. But how did it all end? There was a local character inside in the, one of the pubs. And uh, he was trying to clear out of Tygeen's pub. And uh, he'd been there for a couple of hours. And uh, he, he had to leave his point behind him. And a bit disgusted, I think he rang up to the the box and threw a kick at it. <laughs> that was that, although I think it um, never went off. He did the bomb disposal himself. And he was quickly removed by the sergeant. Other people said that, that uh, the bomb disposal team set off a charge and two stones and a cuckoo flock flew out of it. It was fierce excitement altogether, but it finished up with even better excitement. People had a great laugh at it. But uh, the local postman at that time was Jackie Brown, and it was Jackie actually saw the bomb inside in the front of Tygeen's pub. And uh, Jackie happened to be with Limerick Road in the tops of the town and uh, singer, singer in, in, in that music competition. And uh, so they decided they'd do a little parody about it. My name is Nuli Keane. I'm from Castle Island, Limerick Road, the Great Limerick Road, and a daughter of Gaby Keane, who was a great parody writer, was called on whenever an old song was needed for an occasion. I remember, ma'am telling me about it and it was 
an occasion of great excitement and great mirth because very often the people that were uh, written about were town characters anyway. So uh, they were already people who brought a certain amount of colour to the life of the town, shall we say. Oh, Lord, the whole place has been turned upside down, rehearsing for tops of the town there. And the crowds are... So this ticking box... Uh, which was found. Oh my God, she said, I have a parody to write about. And it was going to be a song. It was an amazing occasion, for sure, because I can only remember Mummy telling me about it and writing the parody. But uh, she would have enjoyed writing about the characters because it was always about characters. There was always characters involved. Big feathered hat and blue pantaloons that he wears when he goes for a job. Sadly, I never heard it myself, but that it certainly got great laughs in the town because, well, after the bomb was diffused, people got great mirth out of the story of uh, the famous kick of the bomb and the ticking clock. In the following year's Tops of the Tones competition, Limerick Road won it outright. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the Limerick Road Group, I have great pleasure in thanking all the people who helped us with our shows in any way. I hope you'll forgive me if I pick out just a few, uh, just a few of those people. First of all, our musicians in particular, Mrs. Kelleher, our music director. And although Nuala never heard the song, the lyrics of the parody piece about the bomb hoax in Castle Island in 1973 still live on to this day. The day the box was seen by Jackie Brown, the traffic came to a standstill in the town. The guardy took no chances. It could be from the Nazis the day the box was seen by Jackie Brown. All the lorries were diverted through Spout Lane to keep the traffic flowing through the main. And then the final breakthrough, a ticking clock it fell through on the day the box was seen by Jackie Brown. I can't see any chance to me by the way to see his arm to shock the drum it was. We will have only the same voice now because we know the two drivers. Can you remember the air to it? I can. Will you sing it? Uh, Oh, the day the box was seen by Jackie Brown. The traffic came to a standstill in the town. The guard, he took no chances. It could be from the Nazis. The day the box was seen by Jackie Brown. We leave it at that. supported us this year especially and given us every bit of encouragement that brought us to the final. Thank you very much. Wonderful piece there by David Nelligan and that is his short feature that got silver at the Imro Radio Awards and David Nelligan himself uh, got a best newcomer along with Radio Kerry, did very well all together. Um, JJ O'Shea Kinsella, Neve Daly, Alan Finn, um, Tim Moynihan and uh, so many more were involved so well done to everyone who swept the boards in Radio Kerry here at the National Radio Awards. Now we're going to be speaking about another award winning short uh, but this time it's a film and we're going to be talking to a new up-and-coming acting star, a Tralee acting star. So I'm very much looking forward to that. We'll take a break with a more after these. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry.
And I forgot to mention my colleague Joe Mahoney and all the team. They did very well as well at the Emeralds, winning bronze as well for the weekend sports. So um, congratulations to them as well. I can't believe I forgot to mention Joe Mahoney. And you know, he only in the room next door. Uh, but uh, well uh, deserved as well um, there. Um, lots of messages coming in uh, to us here on the programme. Oh, that item brought back memories. I witnessed the incident, and this is the incident that David Nelligan was, uh, did his piece on before the break. I witnessed the incident of the local local character going into the phone box on my way home from school Martin in Tralee oh and by the way Jackie Brown was a granduncle of Irish legend Andy Townsend jeez that's another kind of an angle there I must say that to David uh, Nelligan thanks a million for that um, Martin and keep those messages coming in 0667123366 you can text the WhatsApp 083-300-3300. Now, I'm delighted to say I'm joined in studio by a Tralee teenager, Ewan Morris, who is from Caerlaheen in Tralee. And he stars in an award-winning short film, Too Far the Road, which is to get its Kerry screening at Kerry Film Festival this Sunday at 11am in the IMC Cinema in Killarney. And Ewan joins me now. Ewan, you're very welcome. How are you? I'm good, thanks. That's great. And tell us, I suppose, firstly, how did you land the role of, uh, you know, this this part in this film? And tell us a bit about it then as well. Uh, we went up to Cork for the audition. Mm-hmm. It was my first ever in-person audition because I kind of only started in COVID. So that was all like, uh, like videotapes I had to send in. So it was my first ever in-person audition and I went in and I did it. And I read the story beforehand because he wrote the story. So I told I like told him what I liked about the story, and then he came out and met my mom, which we didn't know was like normal. Yeah. No, we didn't know. We thought it was normal, but it was actually like he people don't normally do that. Oh, so it was a good sign. Yeah. yeah. So he came out, met us, and kind of he really liked me. And then later on, we found like after maybe a week or two, we found out that I got the part. Whoa, congratulations, it's brilliant. And were you always acting, or is this a recent thing? Uh, I kind of, I started when I was nine, uh, so I was in, like, musicals and stuff, but I didn't really like the singing and dancing. So then I did plays with the High Breezo, um, tr- the High Breezo group, which I did acting in the Ballymac Bar, which I just did John B. Keane plays. Oh, brilliant, excellent. So kind of a good carry grounding there as well, which yeah. is uh, fantastic. Um, tell us about the part and tell us about the film. What, what, what's the, the short film uh, about? So I play Oscar, who goes on, like, trips with his dad every weekend. And the film focuses on one weekend where uh, his father kind of doesn't d- go, like what they were going to do and he kind of just decides to go drinking in the pub and then he drinks a good bit too much and it's just kind of the effects of that and it's just the kind of the weekend the story of the weekend and where is it based uh it's based in cork okay and the filming aspect of it then what was that like for you like when you were used to Um, doing plays is there a lot of waiting around or what's it like uh it was like so weird there was so much things to learn Um, yeah there was a good bit of waiting around but it wasn't too bad because since I was a kid they all kind of treated me very yeah. Like a king, nearly. I got lots of <laughs> drinks and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. minerals, I hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. very good. And, uh, y- is this something you'd like to pursue as a career? Maybe. Yeah, uh, definitely. You have a taste for it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely what I want to do. Yeah. 
that's in that uh, that's amazing to, to know at that early age to know right I want to do this that's brilliant yeah. and you obviously have a talent for it um, they, I, it was uh, I was reading there and I heard during the week as well and we'll be actually talking about this in the next few minutes because we'll be doing our Kerry Concon's Creative Kingdom where we'll be talking about the Kerry Film Festival and we're going to be talking about this film as well but it's on the Oscar long list so who knows you could be at the Oscars next year that's very exciting isn't it? yeah it's very very exciting that would definitely be the dream if yeah. we could go to the Oscars would yeah. be amazing yeah and you'll get a taste for it uh, this week now because you'll be going along to the screening have you ever been to a film screening before uh, I went to the one in Galway which oh, was oh, yeah. amazing it's not what I expected I didn't even know there was awards and yeah so it was just so cool. Yeah. And do you have to dress up for that now? Do you have to put uh, on a suit? Yeah, I wore, like, up my fanciest clothes to it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, have you any kind of, I suppose, particular actor that you kind of look up to or admire or uh, anything like that? I, I really like Killian Murphy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I was saying you look like a young Killian Murphy, <laughs> so you're you're off to a, a great start there. Um, it's a very exciting kind of a um, an industry, isn't it? The film industry. Yeah, it's it's so cool now that I have a taste for it. Nearly. Yeah. It's just it's like it's just amazing what it is like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you must get a lot of support from your family, and you better mention them. Uh, your dad is here in the background. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, my mom Marie, my dad John Paul, my brother Cahal, my sister Roisin and my dog Jeffrey. Oh, uh, Jeffrey's listening in as well. Um, you, it's an absolute pleasure that you came in to us, and I'm delighted that you did because I have a feeling we're talking to a, a former su- or, or a future, I should say, superstar here. So don't forget us now. Don't get a big <laughs> head either. You know, when you are over at the Oscars yeah. next year, make sure to come back and uh, say hello to us, and we wish you all the best. And I must say, you've done an absolutely fantastic interview here this morning so well done on that and we wish you all the best uh, with it and Kerry Film it's just going from strength to strength so it's brilliant to hear a young actor as well because we're hearing a lot about the wonderful I suppose um, adult actors we have as well and uh, the production people and all that Um, like Jesse Buckley is doing unbelievable and we've um, Fassbender and we've so many more and we've so many more like Fall O'Reilly and all these people and now we have Ewan Morris, a 13-year-old from Cahar, Laheen and Tralee. And have a great uh, time next Sunday at the IMEC in uh, Cinema in Clarny at 11am. And best of luck going forward. Thank you. That is Ewan Morris there and uh, we wish him all the best and the Kerry Film Festival takes place this Thursday and we will um, be talking about that um, as well um, in the next half an hour because we have our Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom letting you know what's going on in the arts world. Lots of people getting in touch in relation to the cures and about time as well and people saying, pardon the pun, wasn't it a simpler time before watches and alarm clocks um, and everything else and it is amazing to think but I suppose it was more it was a more natural thing wasn't it to get up when the when it was bright and to go to bed um, when it was dark and then speaky as sound that's where all these ghost stories came from as well was filling the winter evenings when it got dark around the fireplace telling stories and that's how people passed the time neighbours would come in and neighbours would exchange uh, stories and ghost stories was a big part of that so into Halloween now um, and sound as uh, we'd be called it in Irish traditions that is all 
um, part of it. Keep uh, keep in touch with the programme. If you want to email me during the week, jmcgill at radiocarry.ie and if you want to um, send in your photos to our photography slot, you can email them jmcgill at radiocarry.ie and our theme uh, this month is Life in Colour and get them in to me midday, Wednesday before the first Saturday of the month. We got some fantastic photos uh, last uh, this month and we're looking forward to more great ones next month. Now, after the break, we have our Kerrycon Council, Creative Kingdom. You're listening to the Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. You're listening to the Saturday Supplement. It is the second Saturday of the month, so it's time for Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom, letting you know what's going on in the arts world around this wonderful creative kingdom. Firstly, before we get to our wonderful guests that we've lined up for this morning, as always, we talk to Kate Kennelly, Arts Officer with Kerry County Council. Kate, how are you this morning, firstly? I'm very well, Joe, and thank you for asking, and good morning to all your listeners. And Joe, a lot of your listeners joined us for Culture Night. Uh, you might recall last month we were talking about it, and I just want to say a big thank you to Hannah and all the team in the Arts Office. You've Morel, Neve, Clive, Emma and myself as well. Uh, there was a lot of work across the team, and... Um, we had over 42 events across the county, but again, they wouldn't happen, Joe, without all the organisers, all the artists, the participants. Um, we had a, a beautiful event in Island of Geese with MTU. Uh, Hannah had organised the outdoor projection back in on, um, in the Galleris Oratory, and uh, that was quite special. And then with our Creative Places partners, uh, Fianna de Bush and Co down in South Kerry, there was a beautiful clip on RTE with the Pipers down in Bolas Head, and they were just some of the highlights, Joe, uh, but we had really good attendance and just want to thank every single person who made Culture Night 2023 as magical as it was. Yeah, the reports were absolutely amazing. Dominic Walsh, um, in his photo slot last week, uh, sent us a beautiful photo of uh, the, the event that was on the Island of Geese. just looked absolutely spectacular. Um, so it's great to hear that's going from strength to strength. And speaking of things that are going from strength to strength, Kate, the Kerry International Film Festival is kicking off this Thursday, would you believe it's around already. Marie Linehan, Festival Manager of Kerry International Film Festival, was with us now. Marie, how are you this morning? Very good, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. So, what have you going on this year? I'm always looking forward to hearing what's what's going to take place for this wonderful event. Thanks, Joe. Well, we've got lots going on. It's a bumper-packed weekend. Um, we're starting off next Thursday the 19th and running through to Sunday the 22nd of October. We have 43 events taking place across eight venues, um, mostly in Killarney, but we do have one event in Tralee this year. We're showcasing the best of 138 short films this year, both Irish and international. We've got 14 features and docs, and we're also doing live events this year, so something a little bit different. Um, just to give you a few highlights, uh, the opening night, we're starting off in Randall's Hotel for our drinks reception, and then moving on to the cinema in Killarney for our opening night film of Hungry Hill. Uh, we showcased this in Kenmare Mart in August. It was a sellout event, and I'd urge people to buy their tickets very quickly if they're interested in attending. Um, moving on then to Friday, we are having our Maureen O'Hara Award Ceremony. Um, our Maureen O'Hara Award was established in 2008, and it celebrates women who excel, who have excelled in film. Um, we've had Amy Huberman come to Killarney, Brenda Fricker, Saoirse Ronan, and this year is no different. We're celebrating the life and the extraordinary career of Eileen Walsh. 
So for those who, who might not recognise the name, she's a very established actress. She's appeared in The Van, Catastrophe with Sharon Horgan, um, and The Magdalene Sisters, you would definitely know her from. So that's going to be a great event. Tickets are super um, limited for that event. So I'd urge everyone, go on to www.kerryfilmfestival.com to get your tickets very, very quickly. Um, and then just moving on to Sunday, we are very much in the Great Southern Hotel. We've got a family movie, um, A Greyhound of a Girl, starting off, starting off at 11 o'clock. Moving on to our Irish um, short films at one. We've got a lovely short film um, that we're showcasing. It's called Two for the Road. The little um, lad that stars in that film, his name is um, Ewan Morris. He's from Tralee, and it's been long listed for an Oscar. It also, um, yeah. Oh, it, that's amazing. Yeah, so it's a fantastic, beautiful film. Um, it won the best short at drama. Best Short Drama at Galway Film Festival this year, so we're privileged to be able to showcase that film to our Kerry audiences. Yeah, amazing. Um, this uh, festival, it has a fierce knock-on effect for the county, I suppose, not just in terms of the economic benefits to the county, but also to the film industry in general. It's, it's, it's enhancing that all the time. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've we've made connections with Kerry College, who have a, a fantastic course there for production. Um, and we've also got a lot of industry events, particularly on the Thursday of the festival. Um, we've got Alva Kyohan from Tralee, who's doing a little event in Annam in Killarney Town Centre. So I would urge any filmmakers, if you've got any interest in film, do have a look at the website. There's something for everyone this year, no matter where you're from. Excellent. And tell us the website address again. So it's www.kerryfilmfestival.com. Excellent. Marie Lenehan, Festival Manager of Kerry International Film Festival. Well done on all the work, because I know this is all year round. And well done. And uh, we look forward to the wonderful events that are going to be taking place from this Thursday on. Lovely. Thank you, Joe. And Kate, you have another guest brought along with you this morning that you want to introduce to me. Um, who is this special guest? Now, and you a very special guest. So our new Creative Communities Engagement Officer is Emma Carmody, and Emma is from Tralee. And Emma started working with us around two months ago and will be the main contact, really, um, for a lot of the Creative Communities projects under our Creative Ireland Kerry programme. Uh, so we're absolutely delighted to have Emma here. And she has one of our um, Creative Communities projects uh, on with her, who and the artist, one of the artists involved is going to speak. So I'll let Emma tell you all about what it's like to be working inside for the last few weeks, Joe. Yeah, Emma, no pressure on you there. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot to live up to. No, I'm delighted to be on with you this month. Um, it's great to, to hear all the good things that are going on. And I suppose since I've come in as well, you really do get an eye opener as to all the creative and cultural things that happen around the county. So, uh, yeah, where my job falls is under the Creative Ireland Kerry strategy. So I suppose it's an all of government initiative to try and enhance um, and engage people with creative and cultural aspects of stuff. And then where we all sort of seem to have this uh, definition in our, in our heads of what creativity means. I suppose what Creative Ireland are trying to get across is that there should be a kind of a mainstream of creativity in everybody's lives, you know, from, from young to old. So it, it goes from zero to 99. Um, and I suppose that's where their their pillars do break down then under that. So under the Creative Youth, you've got Crinunanog, which is the National Day of Celebration for Creativity for Young People. And that happens in June, uh, usually around the second week in June, where we're waiting for a date on that one. And that's for children or young people from zero to 24. And um, then the Creative Communities is quite 
quite a, a large chunk of it and that's where my role is the Creative Communities Engagement Officer. So all of these projects are funded either through um, the cultural creativity team within the council um, broadly with other stakeholders and also then with community groups. So they're, they're projects that are being run through, you know, established community groups, community centres um, and trying to get everybody to have that, that touch on creativity in their lives. Um, the other pillars are under the creative industries as well. Um, creative health and well-being, which does bring in a lot of um, kind of using creativity as a catalyst for well-being. So um, things like uh, social prescribing is, has become quite a new um, thing that's being run through, you know, say uh, the HSE and Healthy Ireland. Um, and then the final one, uh, which is close to my heart as well, is creative uh, climate action and sustainability. So where I haven't not necessarily touched on it yet, I've been focusing on the, the projects that have been underway. Um, most of them are actually completed at this stage. We had around about 22, 24 projects with another couple um, still to, to be carried out by the end of the year. So there's a lot going on around all the con- all the corners of the county, which is great to see. Yeah, and it's very much a hands-on approach, it sounds like, and getting out and pressing the flesh and meeting people. That, so it's really it's a really proactive approach. Yeah, that's my understanding of it. Um, and I suppose, look, it's difficult when there is such a huge level of administration behind it. But, you know, like Kate said, we've got a great team here in the arts office and, you know, we're all very supportive and the guys have been very good at, you know, bringing me into the loop on things and how things are done. But I do feel like it's important for my role to be engaging with the, the projects. And what's great is that every county has been allocated a, a Creative Communities Engagement Officer through Creative Ireland. Um, so like that, it's, it's a government-led initiative and what they want to just make sure that there are people on the ground who are, you know, the point of contact for these groups who are who are there to, to give you a handout and, you know, to give you a hand with it. But all of the projects are on the Creative Ireland website. There's a drop down under Creative Communities and then you select Kerry. So you'll see everything that's going on and, and they'll all have a link then to the actual programme of events or the schedule of whatever project is involved. And to give, a, give us a flavour of this, uh, we've you've brought along artist Emer Fallon um, from the Pride in Our Peatlands project then as well. Yes, so this project is being run through the Environmental Office of Kerry County Council. So Breda Moriarty is leading this one. And then you've got Emer and Zoe doing a great job in uh, in and around the Kilcommon area uh, on the peatlands and trying to get people to engage with the importance of, of our peatlands in Kerry. Very good. And I might bring you in, Emer, on this. So tell us, what, what, tell us about the, the project and your involvement in it. Um, well, Zoe Fuella-Green is my collaborator and partner on it and she spotted the call out that um, Breed de Moriarty had uh, sent out and she asked me would I like to be involved. So uh, we went straight into the Kilcommon community. We got great support from the Rural Development Group and Helen Moriarty there. Um, they brought us out and showed us around the bog and they told us the story of the bog and uh, they'd established these lovely walking routes throughout it. And then we talked about what they wanted for the future, how they saw the future of the bog evolving. And obviously people can't keep cutting it the way that they're cutting it. Um, and it was about imagining a, a, a beautiful future, a more um, uh, environmentally aware future for it. So we spoke to them and then we engaged with um, different areas of the community. We, we went and visited the three primary schools and we did we brought them all up to the bog. And then we did some brilliant creative work in the schools um, uh, inspired by what we had seen in the bog. So we did these beautiful cyanotypes um, featuring bog plants and we did clay pieces and um, prints of the plants and we looked at the bird life and the ecology there and that's all going to be shown um, in an exhibition today. 
um, opening a three income common rural development group uh, premises. So we got incredible engagement from the community. The engagement has been really great. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that's what it's it's it's, it's all about. Um, I'd say you know, um, as a subject matter, it can be fairly. Um, you know, lucrative, and uh, I'd say it's a rewarding project then for yourself to be involved in. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, you know, first of all, just we heard the memories of older members of the community as well, and the different place names they had for the bog. And then, you know, I would have grown up spending days in the bog, but a lot of those younger children had had didn't really know very much about the bog at all. So, you know, if you tell them that at least the turf is like could be ten thousand years old, they're just blown away. Um, so all of that was just brilliant fun. Yeah, and talking to people and meeting people and then giving space to the creative part of it. So we had a, a creative community engagement day where we invited people to come down and um, add to this map of Kilcommon Bog that we were making with natural pigments. And we got all kind of age groups and a, a great mix of people and they all, you know, got got involved and got their hands dirty and, you know, crawled around the floor and drew the map. And so it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Kate, this is this sounds like a wonderful initiative altogether. Like I was speaking to Kira Chute last week in our, uh, on the program, and she was talking about how art is all around us, and and sometimes art can be functional as well, you know, and it should be part of our everyday lives. And this is really what Emma is talking about, and what Emma is talking about. This is really what this is about. It is, Joe, and the essence really, and Emma said it earlier with Creative Ireland, it's about having creativity as part of everyone's life if they want it. You know, so it's giving people the opportunity to engage and it goes beyond the arts. So whilst you will have visual arts and, um, you know, Emer and Zoe are so talented, you have dance, music, film, um, you know, creative writing, you know, it goes so broad. You have in, in the arts as well, you'd have opera, architecture and digital arts, but beyond it, you know, you have craft making, you have design, you have fashion, even cre- creativity with food and creativity in gardens and, you know, how you approach. Um, I, I think it's really interesting because Breathe, our environmental awareness officer, is fantastic. And, you know, Emma was saying we have the creativity and cultural team in the county council. So that goes across each business unit. So we have people there from planning, you know, environment, uh, tourism, housing and, you know, libraries, museum. But there's such ownership now, Joe, in terms of, you know, this is what our job is and this is what we're trying to get across to people in terms of messaging and communication and how arts and creativity can be a real interesting and enjoyable way of doing that. And then that in turn brings more well-being into people's lives. So um, just to say well done to everyone because there's been so much delivered this year and uh, Emma is in full throttle now as she's going, <laughs> trying to tie down all the projects because we're on a national deadline um, for, for mid-November with Creative Ireland. But also Emma has been doing some consultation for Cronuna uh for next year and uh, I, I'll let her talk to you a bit about that as well. But um Suffice to say, I think next year we're going to infiltrate even deeper, Joe, across the county. That's the plan. Excellent. Um, so very briefly, Emma, Cranoon and Og, what are, the, what are the plans there? Yeah, so I suppose we're scoping out uh, ways to run it this year. So the ideal is that it's it's in every corner of the county. Um, but I'm just, I've been, I've brought together the facilitators from last year to try and get feedback and, you know, what worked well, what didn't work so well, what their suggestions might be because they're on the ground, they're in the know. Um, we're also talking to schools um, and going to run some creative sessions with students um, of primary school and secondary school in each kind of area of the county. Um, and also then 
uh, we'll have another project with uh, a group of uh, teenagers because I do feel personally, uh, even thinking back to when I was a teenager myself, there's not always something for the teenagers. If if you're not into sport in the kingdom, unfortunately, it's a, a bit of a downfall for you. Um, and that's one thing as well that really appealed to me about the job was that Creative Ireland seemed to have this view of, you know, creativity is for everybody and it's not just as brilliant and my own mother is an artist so I completely respect the field but you know there is a mindset of people where they go oh artists for artists and you have to have your degree and you have to be qualified but Creative Ireland are all about the creatives in our community so it's the person knitting at home you know it's the person running a side gig as well as working their full-time job and it's it's trying to support all of those all of those people as well so we're just trying to capture all of that in Creative Nog and get as many people to partake in it as we can. Excellent well Emma we wish you the best of luck with it, it they all Thank didn't you. think it just sound absolutely fantastic and, and so well um, articulated as well so it's, it's clear your passion is there which is brilliant as well because that's I think is half the battle um, yeah, Emer, before we finish can you tell us again where the that uh, wonderful event is taking place and when is it on it is it's on at 3 o'clock today and it kicks off there's going to be music with Carol Healy he's a local musician and people are welcome to come along and hopefully those art pieces can be seen throughout the week as well in the Kilcommon Rural Development Buildings in Kilcommon Village Excellent. Well, we wish you all the best to look with it and thanks a million for coming on. We're going to take a break with more after these. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. Now you're listening to Kerry County Council, Creative Kingdom. Kate Kennelly, Arts Officer with Kerry County Council, is still with us. Kate, we've very little time, so away you go. What is coming up this month? We never have enough time, Joe. This is the thing. Uh, Kaylee Afrodepka Ukraine are free community dance workshops and our dancer in residence, Catherine Young, is hosting them at the moment. So you have African dance, tra- traditional Dabka dance from Palestine and Syria, Irish Kaylee dances and Ukrainian folk dance. And it's on Tuesdays in the community hall um, in Ballybunion. It's on Wednesdays in the Presence Primary uh, here in Tralee. And it's on Thursdays in Dingle. So all the times and details are on our social media Joe which is uh, at Kerry Arts. so that's on Tuesdays Wednesdays Thursdays and the times are on our social media so Bally Bunyan Trilly and Dingle there's a beautiful one world singer free drop in singing group on from half 11 to 1 on Thursdays back in on the shirt and it's facilitated by the beautiful natural voice and uh, vocalist of Abigail Joff who's fantastic and Abigail believes singing is not only your birthright but also a wonderful way of coming together as a community and she's so right and she's in, she will be joined by international guests um, and people from I suppose a range of languages will be included so you have English, Irish and Ukrainian no need to know any previous experience or how to read music um, just come and enjoy yourselves and then Children's Book Festival is on just to give them a mention in the library they've over 70 free events Joe across the county so well done um, some of those are funded through our Creative Ireland Kerry programme the ones that are to do with arts and crafts and steam and so on singing and wellbeing sessions and we've mentioned the Kerry Film Festival um, delighted it's it's going so strong Joe all these years later uh, considering we, we were a founding partner back in the day um, Tree Art Group is uh, announcing their Our World Our Oyster exhibition um, and that's featuring 
fishing oysters in Tralee Bay and there is uh, local fishmen and women partaking in the exhibition as well um, and it's curated by Tralee artist Rebecca Wall and it's opening on Friday the 20th and it's out in the parish centre in Phoenix and everyone is welcome there'll be music and reception at the opening at half six and just to mention the Patrick O'Keefe Festival Joe is kicking off as well the 26th to the 30th of October and all the details are on patrickokeefefestival.com um, and again our social media Joe will carry everything so Excellent. am I done? You are you are and whoa I was just thinking you're feeding the soul there in the arts uh-huh. office all the different <laughs> wonderful events that are taking place every month it's, it's action packed which is absolutely outstanding and uh, I was just thinking what we were missing a few years ago you know and you were keeping going online then but geez isn't it great to be at it full tilt which is absolutely fantastic Kate well done it you is. have a great Thanks, team there Jim. as well so well done on, on everything and I look forward to speaking to you again next month Great show and enjoy the weekend to all your listeners. That's it for this morning. And uh, if you're watching the rugby, come on, Ireland. Hopefully we'll, we'll do good over the All Blacks. My thanks to Abigail Bernard, who was on sound. Francis is on the way, so keep it here on Radio Kerry. I'll talk to you again next Saturday. And Bernadette Nereida will be along for Speaking of Poetry. Until then, look after yourself and take care. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry 103.7.